0: The New York State Office of Addiction Services and Supports, or OAS, provides this podcast as a public service. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed do not
1: necessarily represent or reflect those of the agency or state. This is Addiction,
0: The Next Step. I'm Jerry Gretzinger, your host for Addiction, The Next Step, and you know whether you or a loved one is is dealing with addiction, or you're interested in learning more about journeys to recovery, prevention methods, any of that, all of that, that's what this podcast is here for. We want to be able to support you with whatever your needs are. Today, we are joined by Pat Lincourt. She is the Associate Commissioner for Addiction Treatment and Recovery Services. So Pat, thanks for joining us uh, on the podcast today. I wanted to ask you, tell us more about you and the role you do at OASIS. I know you head up two, two divisions within the agency.
1: I'm the Associate Commissioner for Addiction uh, Treatment and Recovery. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, what we do is oversee the treatment programs um, that, and OASIS oversees one of the largest addiction treatment services in, in, in the country. And we also oversee the recovery services. It's a growing part of our
0: system of care. And so, you, I mean, you talk about, so we have got the four areas. We got prevention, treatment, harm reduction, and recovery. Yes. So you're looking at two of those there, treatment and recovery that, you know, one certainly leads into the other. So we'll start with, with treatment. I mean, people who are out there listening who either, you know, may be using substances currently or have a family member who is, and they're curious about treatment. I mean, what's, what's the path that someone takes to start seeing what's available?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, And there are uh, multiple pathways. Uh, One of them is through our HopeLine that people can call. That HopeLine has a statewide site into all of the services, both treatment and recovery, across the state. Another way is through our Find Addiction services on our website. Uh, Still another is through word of mouth, you know, talking to somebody who's had a good experience um, at a specific program. If you're listening and you're in New York state, not far from you is an outpatient program. Every county um, has um, at least one outpatient provider. And that's often a good place to start Mm -hmm. looking for help, whether you're using yourself or whether a loved one is, is using substances.
0: And we talk about the outpatient programs that are near everybody, no matter where they are in the state. What does treatment look like today? I mean, that might be another question people are asking. Like, okay, I, I want to do something or I have a loved one who wants to consider something. But what is that? It's like, what What does it look like today if somebody wants to go out there and, and, and start treatment?
1: So treatment, one of the things I think for listeners to understand is that treatment is changing, um, and there was a time when, you know, people might expect to um, have an intervention or to expect that they would be required to do things, you know, maybe before they were ready. And today, what I, you could expect when you call a treatment provider is to um, be able to talk to a counselor who is skilled and who has um training in um, evidence-based practices that address uh, addictions, to be welcoming, to be non-judgmental about what's going on with you, and to work with where you're at and what goals you have. Um, and so that whether you're a family member and may not have been able to convince um, a loved one to seek treatment themselves, we would really encourage you to, to reach out yourself because there are some ways of both helping you but also helping you to encourage that person to seek care.
0: You know, one of the things I've, I've heard said a lot is uh, wanting to meet people where they're at. Mm-hmm. So I guess in terms of treatment, what you were just talking about, you know, kind of all makes sense, right? That, that statement, wanting to meet people where they're at.
1: Yeah, and, you know, that actually has two meanings, and um, both of those things are changing. A lot of our outpatient programs um, now are employing peers and clinical staff people um, and sometimes medical professionals that will go outside of the clinic and actually meet people in the community where they're physically at. But it also means just starting where the person is from their own goal and, and where they want to go to. So, you know, if somebody isn't sure that they want to stop using substances or isn't sure they want to stop using all substances but have a particular substance um, or gambling issue that they want to address. In the past, they might have feared that they would be you know, required to stop doing things, that they um, uh, stop using some of the substances that they, they weren't sure they wanted to. That's part of what it means to meet somebody where they're at. We want to meet that person. Um, where their own goal is, and not to force people to go beyond that if they're not ready to
0: do that. So you're talking about that, and I, I think how, you know, I think traditionally people have always just thought treatment meant okay, you go into treatment, it's immediate abstinence, and that's what has to happen. So, so we're at a point now where we realize people may not be ready for that yet. But again. It's kind of starting the process for them, not needing to be completely abstinent.
1: Absolutely. I think, you know, for some people, they want that. They feel like they've tried other things and they come into treatment really um, looking for um, an abstinence route. I think that by having that kind of forced decision um, excluded a lot of people who weren't sure and that that was the route that they wanted to take. And so right now, if you were to... It's worth asking questions to a provider before you go and to to say how do you approach um, substance use and how do you work with somebody who may not be interested in or ready for abstinence because most providers at this point would be willing to meet you where your goals were
0: I just as you were talking about that uh, people at different levels and different needs, I was just thinking what what is um What is the current situation, I guess, as far as the need for services like this to be changing the way they are to accommodate, you know, the people who live in New York State at this point? I I know we hear a lot about the overdose epidemic, the opioid epidemic. How how serious an issue is it at this point to be able to engage people and, and give them options for treatment?
1: It is really serious for anybody who's out there and using substances that are, um, you know whether they're opioids or stimulants or other um, pills that people may get on the uh, on the internet. Um, there, synthetic opioids may be present in any um, of those substances, and it's very unpredictable. So, people may go along for a period of time using, but any single use could be. Um, Could lead to an overdose, so it's important. Also, if you you know do know somebody who's using, to have Narcan available to be able to you know save a life. Um, The fact that is so unpredictable and it's so dangerous, um, uh, and so many people have died using substances. We really want to reach the broadest number of people that we can and bring them life saving harm reduction strategies, while also trying to engage people in um, treatments that are very effective. Um, um, for preventing overdose and for um, helping people stabilize their lives.
0: Yeah, so I want to talk about recovery also, but I know there's other parts of uh, treatment that we want to get to. You have a list that I think you've come up with, so like some uh, some misunderstandings or myths that people have sort of bought into over the years, and want to go through and kind of uh, myth bust a few of these things.
1: Sure, right? sounds good.
0: Because uh, I think that's good too, because people do they have a perception sometimes without really knowing the facts, and that could keep them from from finding out more and finding out if it's the truth or not. All right, so I'll, I'll read these to you, and then you tell me uh, if it's a fact or myth, or tell us the, the real deal. Uh, if someone thinks I will have to go to a inpatient uh, area for several weeks, yes, is that true?
1: N- no, not necessarily. So while inpatient can be helpful, and some people do enter treatment at that point, most people don't. Most people um, start treatment at outpatient, and most people complete treatment without having an inpatient. Hmm. I think one of the reasons it's a misconception is because of some of the movies that have been out there, some of the, you know, intervention shows have really influenced people to see treatment as always entering into an inpatient program.
0: Well, and that's still the right thing for some people. But absolutely. There but, are some people yeah. that
1: that's exactly the right place to start treatment.
0: But again, most don't. Most don't. Um, and so as we're talking about that, too, if, if if there are inpatient opportunities for people, and I think sometimes, too, people go, oh, well, if I'm going to an inpatient facility, uh, I have to go to California or I have to go to some other state. I think a lot of people don't realize how many opportunities or options there are right here in New York State. I mean, I know I didn't before I joined the agency.
1: There are excellent um, treatment providers um, of all levels of care inpatient residential um, crisis services uh, in New York. And one of the advantages to staying in New York um, and staying as close to your community as possible is that you can have um, better family engagement and you can start thinking about making supports closer to home for making that transition from your inpatient stay. An inpatient stay can be a great start. Ultimately, you need to um, return to the community and to your family and learn, you know, have the um, supports there to help with long-term recovery.
0: And and something that I also think is interesting, and we'll we'll get back to the list in a second, but that too, if people are looking at treatment options like that, uh, some people may think, I can't afford it, or "I, I don't have insurance. But I see on all of our information, all of our pamphlets and brochures that you don't let money stop you because Absolutely. they'll find a way, Yeah, right?
1: Yes, yeah. so New York has a lot of protections around insurance and access to care um, and if even if you don't have insurance there's a number of options um, for providers that will uh, work with you on a sliding scale and if you can't afford to pay anything, um, you could find a provider in New York that would um, work with you.
0: I think that's great information for people too because I'm sure that's another barrier they think they can't get around, they can't but, get around but they right, can. exactly all right back to the list of myths here uh i will have to go to a lot of groups yes
1: so that's one of the things you know also that you see in movies and in the uh, media is that uh, addiction treatment is always centered around group you know groups can be very helpful and it can be very um helpful to the people to find to support their recovery There are a lot of people that are hesitant to do that, and that's a barrier to coming into treatment because they don't feel ready or they have some nervousness about joining a group. And so I do want people to understand that that meaning you where you are means also helping to provide treatment in a way that you're comfortable. So maybe you're comfortable coming, you know, for a couples session, or maybe you're comfortable just talking one on one with a counselor or with a peer.
0: All of those options um, are available. But it's not always going to be a one size fits all. I mean, it it's really not is yeah. exactly. Um, this next one, uh, I will have to stop using all substances. I'm not sure I'm ready for that. We sort of talked about that a little bit, yes. so, but no, no longer the case. That's right. Yeah. And
1: I, I think that is maybe one of the biggest changes is uh, in addiction treatment is that opportunity to, to kind of set your own pace, you know, choose the kind of experience that you want. And that includes whether or not you're gonna maybe stop one substance or cut way back on it, um, and maybe not think about the other ones for a bit.
0: Okay, and another. This is the uh, the fourth item on the list of uh, the myths here. I feel embarrassed by my substance use and have been able to hide it pretty well. I don't want anyone to find out. So I guess the myth would be that everybody will be aware. That you had an issue.
1: Yes, absolutely. And so I think some people are, you know, worried about people finding out, want people to know that um, there are protections in the law for anybody who's seeking addiction treatment everything is confidential and can't be disclosed unless you give, you know, specific written permission to do that. And beyond that, that feeling of embarrassment, I think there's a lot of stigma around Mm -hmm. substance use. And a lot of the images that people see about substance users really put them off from feeling comfortable in disclosing their own use. Oasis in particular has been trying to take on um, some of that stigma and recognizing that lots of people have had difficulties with substances in their lives. A lot of people recover. A lot of people, people face unwarranted, I think, um, stigma from others based on some of the misconceptions that other people have Mm -hmm. about what substance use is and what it can do.
0: And, you know, certainly, so we've, we've gone through our list of the, the myths that we wanted to bust here. But when, when you get through treatment, then uh, I spoke with someone about this earlier today that y- you go through treatment and there may have been another misconception that then you're done and, you know, you're, you're cured per se. But uh, this person said to me, no, you, you, there's never a point where he said he's going to feel like he's cured and he's done, but he lives in recovery and it's an active process. Yep.
1: And I I think that is individualized and people, you know, think about, you know, when they've kind of uh, completed a treatment episode differently, but a lot, but many, many people um, believe that they need to, you know, continue to focus on that, you know, maybe for their entire lifetime to continue to, you know, they may continue to feel cravings or urges to use. Um, They may have... um, They may notice that isolating is something that can lead them back to starting to think about using. So those are the reasons that um, it's important to, you know, stay connected. um, Or even if you're not... um, connected on a daily basis, at least have some re- supports out there, whether it's being able to come back to that treatment program or that counselor, whether it's to be connected to a self-help program or to find your own supports, um, somebody who you've trusted and confided in um, so that you have that um, that you know that that support when times might get a little bit more difficult and that could twenty you know mean like the person who you talk to even in long term recovery it's something to pay attention to most people would agree.
0: Yeah, I kind of jumped ahead there because I had that interesting story about the other gentleman I spoke to, but let, let's just go to the basics. Recovery. I mean, what what does that mean to us here in the agency and to people who are who are in recovery?
1: So, and that's a great question too. Um, I think because recovery does mean some different things to different people. Um, Typically recovery has meant that people have not used substances for a period of time in their life. They're starting to feel better. They're, being better engaged, um, you know, some of the th- goals that they had for initially stopping using are, are starting to be realized. It may be a work related or a family related goal, but there are really positive things that they're, th- you know, that lead them to, you know, feel better in their 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 whole life circumstances, and um, that long-term period of time of not using generally is what people mean by recovery. I think that's changing a little bit too, and people really can define recovery a little bit differently for themselves. So I think it's any positive change that people have made and sustained over a period of time, Um, whether they're completely abstinent from substances or have made significant changes that have led to them just, you know, having success in some areas of their life. Any
0: positive change? That's another phrase we hear a lot of uh, today as well. Um, As far as recovery goes, we talked about treatment and the the services that go along with that. Some that, you know, people would be aware of, like we said, inpatient, outpatient, but recovery, you talk about recovery services. So what's available for people in recovery as they continue to go forward and manage and, and uh, try to, you know, deal with those cravings that may come on. What do those include?
1: So a waste house has thirty-one recovery centers um, across the state, and those are places where people can go to, you know, have that re- that support. Usually, there's very um, there's opportunities to, you know, just hang out or to get some support or maybe go to a support group or a self help meeting or um, to do a recreational uh, event that you know doesn't include substances. Um, some of them are very family oriented. Some are very activity oriented, so you know people who have who feel that that physical part of you know joining a five k, you're doing rock climbing, um, support them feeling continued um, recovery. Um, Also, peers are a part of the recovery movement. So you might find peers in our treatment settings, but you might also find them in a recovery center or, you know, just connected to another kind of service. So being able to talk to somebody who's been there is often really important to people making the decision to make a change in their life and also to helping them sustain it.
0: And how important those people are. To the process and I'm sure how appreciative we are that they want to continue to you know pay it forward I guess
1: right absolutely yeah. one of the places that we've seen a lot of real success is when people are in a crisis and they can talk to a peer and um, oftentimes people will have a much better success at making a connection to treatment or to a recovery community by having had that opportunity to talk with somebody who's also been there
0: sort of a, a, we'll kind of wrap up soon. I just wanted to ask you too. So, you know, here we are in 2023 and we talked about how things change with treatment and recovery. What are like some of the, I don't know, the the cutting edge thinking, the cutting edge approaches that you're seeing coming around now that you think to yourself, this is great. This is really going to help people. Or that maybe you think, you know, why didn't we try this before? Yeah.
1: Well, I think there's been a lot of progress made, especially for opioid use disorder in terms of medication that weren't available before, that have shown to be extremely effective in helping people to stabilize. So, you know, if, if there's been an advancement in the last decade, it's really been along you know, the use of medications. Um, they're not available for every substance. Um, there are medications for alcohol use disorder. There's also um, some behavioral kind of interventions that weren't present. Um, I really like a model called craft it's a community reinforcement for family members and that's been shown to really not only help the person who may be using to encourage them to come to treatment but also to give that family some skills to function better
0: you talked about uh, medication treatment and i'm just i just wanted to ask cuz you, you know we hear you know, people are can be critical of all types of things they don't completely understand and I think sometimes that can get a bad rap I think because I, i've I've read in some reports people say oh well it's just swapping you know one sort of uh, d- drug use for another yeah. um, but you know I know I've seen in my short time with the agency incredible thing it can help people do and that's to not need that that opioid in their system that they came to expect so I guess just sort of addressing that misunderstanding, you know, to demystify it a little bit further, what would you tell people about yeah, what we, that does? We should
1: have put this on our, our myth-busting list. Yeah. <laughs> because, yeah, um, people, I think, see because that, um, you know, heroin and other substances that people may be using um, that they've gotten addicted, you know, that addiction is driving um, that kind of loss of control and the need to continue to use and a need to continue more and more. That's actually that... What defines addiction is actually stopped by these medications because it allows the person to stabilize and not need to keep seeking the substance. And so even though they act similarly in the brain, they have very different functions. That swap isn't a one-to-one swap because instead of driving that continuing addiction, continue to take substances, this actually puts an end to it and allows the person to um, start to focus on other parts of their life.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, I think it's remarkable what I've seen, and it's uh, hopefully more people will be open to that idea and to, to try it out because it's doing a lot of good. Yeah. Um, hey. Uh, so we'll wrap up with one final question. You know, I know a lot of people who get involved in this work. There's something that motivated them, something personal that made them want to do this. Where Where did how did you get started working in this line of uh, addiction my, treatment?
1: My first work was um, in, with people who had a mental health disorder. And one of the things that I saw was how um, how many of them were using substances often to try to feel better um, and um, having difficulty um, because that substance use would lead to an addiction that only eventually exacerbated. And so I wanted to learn more about that, um, and it eventually um, brought me to the field um, where One of the things that I've loved about it is that people I've worked with over time and really seeing even, you know, even before some of the miraculous kind of uh, medications, people make tremendous change in their life. Um, uh, It just is from... A social worker perspective um, just it's been um, just such a privilege to work with folks who um, have wanted that for themselves and have been able to make you know some pretty dramatic changes you know live the kind of life that they wanted.
0: How, how many years have we been with Oasis now?
1: Uh, 17. 17.
0: Wow 17 years of good work that a lot of people appreciate. Okay. Uh, thank you so much for for chatting with us on the podcast and I'm sure we'll have you back.
1: Great. I'd love to come back. Awesome. Thank you very much. Thanks.
0: Thanks for checking out this episode of Addiction, The Next Step. I'm Jerry Gretzinger. Our producer is Isabel Beyond. If you have something you'd like us to discuss on the podcast, feel free to email us about it. It's communications at oasas.ny.gov. That's oasas.ny.gov.